shall we pray? Our gracious God, we come to you at the start of our service and we give you thanks that you are with us. Uh, we know that you are everywhere and that uh, that goes for every part of our universe. But there is a special sense in which your presence is known uh, when your worship takes place. We thank you, Lord, that that worship is able to be offered to you, despite the reality that we have very little awareness of just how great you are. But you accept uh, worship from us with all our limitations and all our uh, inadequacies and all our frailties. We know that other creatures worship you and as far as uh, competence and power and existence is concerned angels have much more to say in a sense they were there at the creation at the beginning and they saw the that display of your power and they have been present ever since then unable enabled therefore to worship you as the God of history the God who has been working out your purpose uh, down through time but we are the, the children of a day as it were our lifespan is short as far as this world is concerned and in it we are uh, adversely affected by uh, numerous things the thing that does affect us most of all is our sinfulness uh, that we have sinned against you our God who gave us your good law wrote your law in our hearts and we turn away from it in lots of different ways and yet in a strange way the fact that we have uh, broken your law and sinned against you enables us to worship you in a very uh, marvelous way because we can worship you as sinners we don't worship you because we have sinned but we do worship you as sinners sinners to whom pardon is offered and sinners who can experience uh, your grace in other ways as well and therefore we draw near to worship you in that way uh, we come as sinners 
we don't come because we understand all our sinfulness because we don't we're not really aware exactly of how much our own personal sin affects us but you do you know all that and yet you are pleased to accept worship from us we thank you Lord that your word tells us that blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven (coughs) whose sins are covered uh, covered by the blood of Christ we thank you that you sent him your son into this world he became part of it and showed here your grace and often we forget as we read the stories about him that every single person he had contact with uh, was a sinner and we thank you for the ways he interacted with them and reveal to them your great mercy and grace and that's what we need at this time as well ourselves so it's good for us to have the prayer of the tax collector uh, the one that Jesus commended in the parable when he said Lord be merciful to me the sinner Lord we pray therefore that you would help us as we attempt to think about your word today it is astonishing as well that while your word was inspired by you every book in it was composed by someone who had been forgiven by you that you involve sinners in the production of your word and while everything they wrote is what you wanted them to say yet that's a sign of your kindness and mercy and we thank you Lord for what you told them to say and for what they were guided to say about Jesus and as we think about him today we pray that he will become very big in our eyes and that our hearts would be astonished at what he did we are conscious at this time of year that there is a certain kind of focus on him some of it (coughs) is in line with your word much of it is not and we just pray Lord that you would um, help us as we think today from your word to get a fresh reminder of the real Jesus of the saviour of his people the shepherd of his flock the guide who takes him through life the helper the one who is our representative in heaven who intercedes there uh, constantly 
and we just pray that we will be thinking about him today. We thank you too, Lord, that we can worship you as needy people. And in the current circumstances, uh, we need a sight of God. Lord, speak to us. Reveal yourself to us. Remember each person connected to the congregation, that you would bless them all. And we just ask that you would uh, guide and help and lead and remind us that you are our refuge and our strength. So be with us in our service, we pray. Speak to us from your word. Speak to us in our hearts and enable us to do what your word says. So bless us, we pray, for your own name's sake. Amen. Uh, we can sing again, this time from Psalm 40 in Scottish Psalter. And we'll sing verses 5 uh, to 9. O Lord my God, full many are the wonders thou hast done. Thy gracious thoughts to us were far above all thoughts are gone. Verses 5 to 9.
can read in the book of Philippians and uh, Philippians chapter 2. And we can read verses 1 to 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. For though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And may God Bless that reading. We'll sing again this time from Psalm 18 in the Sing Psalms. And we'll sing verses 25 to 32. With faithful people you keep faith, and to the blameless you are good. With pure you yourselves are pure but with the crooked you are shrewd. You save the humble and the meek, but bring the proud down from their height. You, Lord, will keep my lamp aflame. God turns my darkness into light. Verses 25 to 32.
can turn back to the passage we read, um, Philippians uh, chapter 2, and we can read again verses 5 to 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We'd just like us to think today about how and why Jesus came to Bethlehem. How and why Jesus came to Bethlehem. We know why and how Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. I mean, they were there because the most powerful man on the earth had told them to go. He hadn't told them personally, but he had just given a general decree that since he wanted to know how much income he could raise from his subjects, they all had to go back to be registered in their home location. So, uh, Joseph, um, being from Bethlehem, had to go back there to be registered. And it didn't really matter um, what state they were in, um, even if you were about to give birth, you still had to go and do what that uh, powerful emperor uh, said. Um, obviously, his um, decree indicated that he wasn't really that concerned about the uh, the physical state of his uh, subjects. But he was concerned about what they could uh, give to him out of their um, meagre uh, earnings. That's why they went to Bethlehem. Why did Jesus go to Bethlehem? Who gave the decree that he should go there? And when was it decided that he would go? And who decided the form that he would be in when he actually arrived? Well, hopefully we'll find the answer as we think about these verses. Uh, Philippians 2, uh, 6-11 as a uh, obviously a very profound theological statement it is um, not, not I am competent to judge but it is probably the uh, most profound uh, section of this particular book indeed it may be the most profound passage that Paul ever used in any of his letters and, and he has, um, as we know, written several letters in which there are 
um, statements he makes that stretch our minds to the limit but this may be the one that is uh, the most profound of everything that he ever wrote perhaps it's not even the just um, Paul's letters that that can be said about I mean that your mind just um, if we are and recall the statements of the New Testament itself are there any other passages that come close to ascending the heights that this particular set of verses do I mean the only ones that I would think come near this is what the Apostle John writes in the, in the start of his gospel when he talks about in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and of course yes, since we're on this kind of trajectory the, is there any other passage in the entire Bible that says what this one says I mean there are many um, passages that are full of graphic and um, staggering descriptions of God of God and his power Psalm 139 for example I ascend to the heavens God is there if I go down to the depths he is there and if even if I'm not there he's there but here Paul um, puts in a set of six verses what um, theologians can't even describe in sets of six volumes some people wonder where the the verses came from because they they just seem to stand out and therefore they suggest it was some kind of um, statement or or um, or hymn that um, Paul was uh, citing and the Bible does include memory statements that Paul refers to for example there's the ones that are uh, described in in 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus as faithful saints and obviously these faithful saints were well known and they were kind of helps for helping people recall important truths and some people suggest that's what's here and of course it could be a memory statement but uh, and if it wasn't one that's no reason why it can't become one because at least to, to my uh, level this time of year response to this time of year as there is all kinds of ideas about Jesus floating around about what he did and 
where he is surely it's good for us to actually reflect on a passage that actually summarizes all that happened to him and just use that to estimate what has been said about him in the media and so on at the moment so it's a wonderful passage but what seems to be um, behind Paul's thinking here is the answer to every dilemma is Jesus Christ and what was the problem in Philippi now the church in Philippi as I'm sure we know is the one that Paul commends the most he tells them at the end of the letter that no church like has helped him the way that they did right from the time that he was involved in starting a church when he and Silas and Timothy went there and we're all familiar no doubt with the story of the of Lydia and of the Philippian jailer and of how they were brought into the kingdom and also the the woman that was being um, um, used by the fortune tellers and to make some predictions how she was delivered and so on and how that church started there in Philippi and and Paul says that right from the beginning they helped him in all his missionary efforts and here he is now in Rome and uh, in prison in Rome and whatever that means to be in prison in Rome because he didn't have prisons like we have prisons today but anyway he's a prisoner and there and he doesn't get an email from anybody saying so and so is coming I mean every visit's a real surprise and uh, one day in walks Epaphroditus from Philippi and he's got a gift for him and uh, and no doubt Epaphroditus was there for a while because Paul tells us later on in this chapter Philippians chapter 2 that Epaphroditus became ill became ill so much so that Paul actually wondered was he going to survive but um, as he says there in verse 27 indeed he was ill near to death but God had mercy on him and not only on him but on me also lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow but anyway there's Epaphroditus and whether he did this before or not but he's the one that's chosen on this occasion to bring aid uh, to uh, Paul and we can imagine them just after their greetings and whatever else they did initially Paul would say to Epaphroditus how's the church in Philippi and Epaphroditus well he would just tell them the truth wouldn't he this is what the church in Philippi is like and this is what 
so-and-so is doing. And if we just work our way through the letter, we can see these hints being mentioned. And even at the start of Philippians chapter 2, Paul indicates in his own very diplomatic way he indicates that they need to be like Jesus doesn't he when we read the verses if there is any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy all wonderful experiences really important experiences indeed we could say they are the experiences of the normal Christian life if there is any encouragement any comfort in love any sharing in the spirit any affection and sympathy there's only one way to have them all and the only way to have them is by being like Christ it's impossible to get them any other way and therefore he says to them to the people in Philippi whatever the issue was that they were facing he points out in verse 3 that it's easy to avoid these blessings as a matter of fact they can be removed in an instant as he points out there in verse 3 and tells them that any of them put themselves first they'll lose the blessing but instead he tells them humility is key and it looks to me as if this is just a guess of course but it looks to me as if Paul then thinks who can I mention as examples of humility and he comes up with three the first one he mentions is Jesus and we're going to think about that in a minute and the second one he mentions is Timothy himself in verses 19 to 24 and then there's Epaphroditus the one they had sent with the with the gift and who had going by Paul's description of him every step he took as he walked from, from um, Philippi to Rome every step expressed his humility so these are the ones that um, Paul highlights but of course Timothy and Epaphroditus are sinners and they may have had no real social standing but when it comes to Jesus they were on a different level altogether 
But it is interesting, isn't it? That whatever the issues were in Philippi, that the example that Paul turns to is Jesus. And of course, he does that often. It's a very common biblical thing. I mean, it's not only Paul that does it. I mean, um, the Apostle John says that anyone who says he is in Christ must walk as he walked. Peter says that Jesus has given us an example to follow in his steps. And Jesus himself said, you call me Master and Lord and of course he said this after he had washed their feet and you do well for so I am and then he went on to tell them that they should be washing one another's feet so the example of Jesus is something very important well I guess the thing really first of all about before he was born what was life like for the son of God that's in verse 6 and then in verse 7 what did he do how did Jesus think in heaven as he watched the galaxy spinning round how did Jesus think And then thirdly, is it easy for us to follow Jesus? Well, think about that. Well, what was he before he was born? Well, Paul tells us there in verse 6, he was in the form of God. The word form there, the word form occurs uh, three times in this set of verses. Um, he's the form of God, and then in verse 7, he's the form of a servant, and then in verse 8, he's found in human form. And uh, the word form in each of these um, examples just means exactly, he is exactly whatever the reference is. So if he's in the form of God, he's exactly God. And if he's in the if he's, um, form of a servant, he's a servant. And if he's found in human form, he's a real man. So there he is, form of God. Fully God. Always God. I mean, we have... Um, it's hard for us to work out things about God, isn't it? Because when we think about God, we, we inevitably do it through the creation. That's just, that's just the way we do it. When we, for example, when we think about God's omnipresence, we just think about God and the universe, don't we? Because we, we can't think of anywhere else. So it doesn't matter where we think of the planet Earth or somewhere else in our galaxy or somewhere else away out in the solar system. Our concept of God's presence 
is, is limited to the, almost to the creation, isn't it? There's not an inch anywhere that he's not there. But there was a time when there was no creation. When there wasn't anything. Nothing but God himself. And Jesus, well, he's, he was there. Fully God, understood God perfectly, we'll come back to that in a minute. But, you know, everything, there's a certain sense in which everything God does hides God. It reveals him, but it also hides him. I mean, I mean, God, Jesus, made the universe. How many universes could he have made? When he said, when God at the beginning said, let there be light, and this cosmos appeared, how many of them could God have made? He made one. And the one that he made is incredible. And it revealed his power. But it also hid his power. Because he could have made billions of them. There's no limit to the number he could have made. But he chose to reveal himself in that particular way. And when we look at the universe and we think of God making all that, we say to ourselves, what a God. And we're talking about Jesus. Father, Son and Spirit. But at the same time we have to say to ourselves, our God could do many more galaxies, many more universes, if he had wished. But he chose not to reveal the fullness of his power. And we can almost do that with all his revealed details about himself. Everything he reveals shows he's great. But when we see them, we don't see everything about God. God the Son was there. Jesus at the beginning. And then there's... What's he been doing since then? In the form of God. Along with the Father and the Spirit. Well he's controlling everything. And he controls all very easily. He's the governor of time. Every day when the universe works like clockwork, it only works that way because Jesus enables it to. And everything that we've done today, the mere fact we can move our hands as it were, think in our heads, is because Jesus enables us to do that. And he's been doing that all through time. Every single breath has ever been taken by anyone, anywhere. It's all come from him. Every blade of grass has grown. 
But as we look at that, we can see it's incredible. But it's only a fraction of his abilities. He could have controlled so much more if he had decided to have made so much more. Nothing would be beyond him. It's incredible to think of the Son of God, isn't it? That's the one who came to Bethlehem. But there he is. Imagine it before creation. And I think it is important to think about that. What was it like before creation? Well, <laughs> I found it quite hard to think about that. But anyway, this thought came to my mind and I'll just mention it. It may or may not help. Imagine if you're sitting in a room with somebody. And as you are with that person, you realize that that individual knows you exactly. And he knows with delight everything about you. And he is constantly aware of who you are and constantly appreciates who you are and shares all your intentions. It would be great to meet that person, wouldn't it? And for this just to be going on and on and on. And you can look at that person and although you're seeing a different person, you're almost seeing your double. Well, that's God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Father looked at the Son and saw perfection. And the Son looked at the Father and saw perfection. And they shared their own eternal purpose. And they delighted in what they had planned. And that was what they thought about. Their own glory. What they were going to do. Along with the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus. And eternity passed. Before there was anything. There he is. The Christ of Christmas. The eternal God. What do we think of him? This incredible person. Does he astonish us? Astonish us beyond words? Or is he just somewhere a couple of stairs and a couple of steps and a ladder above us? Or do we approach him with awe, with wonder? 
just saying to him how great you are but there he was in heaven high above everything what did he think about that well Paul tells us he says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped a thing to be held on to merely for his own benefit I've got lots of things I like to hold on to frightened to give them to anybody else in case they somehow or other damage it cling to them because they're part of my personal identity well how did the son of God react to the fact that he was equal with God the father Well, he tells us. It wasn't something to be, as it were, clung to and kept for himself. Just imagine what life would be like if he had done that. Now, if he was to say, the only place for me is to be on the throne of God and the only place for me is to be surrounded by thousands of angels constantly singing my praise and the only thing for me is to be continually preoccupied with myself what if he had said that but he didn't and Paul goes on to say extraordinary things about this highly ex exalted divine person he says it there in verse 7 he emptied himself now that's an idiom it means that someone hides himself so well that people don't really recognize him a rich man can become poor the Roman Emperor never did this but he could have done it he could have gone and worked in the salt mines just to discover how, what life was like for his subjects but he never did that but Jesus he did what would seem to be incredible and is incredible 
that he hid who he was and how do you do that he became a man didn't just become a man he became a baby didn't just become a baby he became a baby in a obscure village he didn't just become a baby in an obscure village he became a baby in a, an obscure village that had no room for his mother when she was about to give birth God has arrived and who knew about it he made himself of no reputation as the authorized version puts it no official delegation coming up to express their delight that God had arrived and if the angels hadn't come and told the shepherds who would have known but he emptied himself he who was at the top almost put himself down to the bottom that was his mind that's what he thought I who am so high I am going to come so low how low he's going to become a servant it doesn't mean that he's going to come and serve now and again but rather he's going to come to be nothing else but a servant and of course that's what he said to the disciples wasn't he I am among you as he that serves there's never going to be a moment when he doesn't serve he's not our servant he's not the, in the position that we tell him what to do he's not our servant but he is the servant he's the father's servant I constantly do the things that please him is his own self-assessment and there he is he's come to be a servant and the particular task he's been given by his father to do requires him to be a baby because he has to uh, represent sinners and he has to represent sinners through every stage of their human development and whether they're going to be because they're going to be infants and because they're going to be adolescents and because they're going to be adults he's going to have to do it all and throughout it all he's serving and he is primarily serving in the sense of preparing himself to be the sacrifice for sin because in order to be the sacrifice for sin he has to offer up a perfect life 
and that's what he's going to do and he did it all by hiding hiding himself hiding his identity who in in Nazareth realized who he was everywhere he went people couldn't see who he was unless their eyes were opened by God himself he who was the heavenly somebody became the earthly nobody what an extraordinary change sinless devoted determined that marks him the Jesus that is on our minds at the moment that we should make sure it's the real Jesus and not some kind of fantasy invented by the 21st century came down to be with us in order to help us because that was God's plan we're to imitate him he came to be a servant if we are Christians we are servants we're saved to serve Is it hard to imitate Jesus? Well, what does Paul say? We'll stop with this. But is it hard to be a servant? Well, he says there in verse 5 Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus he doesn't say have this mind among yourselves and try and work it out yourself he doesn't say have this mind among yourselves and go and get a book and write out 500 resolutions He just says that this mind is yours because you're united to Christ. It's not dependent on a person's intellectual ability. It's not dependent on what their natural talents might be. It's all connected to the fact that when they believed in Jesus they were united to him they became linked to him his life is connected to their life you know Jesus said on one occasion and we know the verses very well he said Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And he gave this guarantee that if we do that, we will get rest in our souls. Jesus, we have to trust him. We have to spend time with him. We have to be taught by him. We have to, as it were, trace his steps and go in them. As I ask myself today, is this the Lord's day? The day that the Lord has given to us for our spiritual benefit. I'm just going to close with four questions about this morning. It's past, of course, this morning. There are four questions about this morning. Who have we been with this morning? Were we with Jesus? How much time did we spend with the one who came down to serve his Father and deliver us? Who have we been with? How long have we been there? How much of this Lord's Day, which is now 50% over, how much has been spent in the presence of Christ? What has he taught us today? What have we learned from him? Because that's who he is. He's a teacher. And I suppose another question is, where did he take us today? Where did he elevate our minds to? Where did he take our hearts? What did he do for us today? Jesus, the Son of God, the one who existed in the form of God, came down here by emptying himself, making himself of no reputation, in order that he could deliver us from our sins and reveal to us the riches of God's grace. I think it's a real question. And one we all should answer even now. And the question basically is this. How real is Jesus Christ to us? That is a real question, isn't it? How real is he? Shall we pray? Lord, we give you thanks that you did not think equality with God was merely something 
to be as it were kept in heaven but you came down down to earth down to become a man down to live here in all the details we know about and in all the years that we know nothing about but you came down you didn't only come down to earth but you humbled yourself and went to the cross and who can estimate how far down that went but there you went and we thank you that you did what you did lived a perfect life and paid the penalty for sin and we are very glad to know that at this moment you are still enjoying the fullness of the exaltation that was given to you as a reward and we pray that our minds our way of thinking will be influenced and affected by what we know of you and that the Holy Spirit would be transforming us day by day into the likeness of Christ Lord do that we pray for your own name's sake Amen uh, We can sing from Psalm 27 and sing Psalms verses 4 to 5 three stanzas one thing I'll plead before the Lord and this I'll seek always that I may come within God's house and dwell there all my days verses 4 to 5 
Um, I've got a message for the congregation, or a statement for the congregation, which I will give after the benediction. So if there's anyone in the service who doesn't belong to the congregation, I would ask them to leave after I say the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.